Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. In the Gospel of Matthew. So welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, this chapter, chapter 6, is in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We started this a few months ago. We go chapter by chapter and verse by verse because that's the way I don't get lost. I always make sure that I, I preach the full counsel of God. We want to make sure that we don't leave anything out. It was funny, this, this, this last week, uh, I was with a couple of guys at a, at a men's breakfast, and one of the guys was saying that he was talking to his neighbor and talking about a couple of things that the Bible says. And the guy said, I checked it out. The Bible only says that twice. <laughs> it's like, it says it twice. All it has to do is say once. I mean, if the Bible says something, it's for our, our benefit. Our, 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 our job is to take it internally to understand what it means and to, to put it in practice. Last week, um, we were finishing up chapter 6, and we had the sermon on loving the unlovely. Remember that? And the idea is this, is that Jesus says there's going to be people that come into our life that aren't our friends, aren't our family. They're outside of that, but we need to love them as well. Uh, Jesus went one step further. He said you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those that, that persecute you. Um, I want to encourage you to be praying for this, this country. Um, pray for the people that you didn't vote for. My goodness, they need it. They need the spirit of the Lord. If, if Washington, D.C. would, if a revival would break out there, I mean, we could bring Gary up there, sing, have, bring his harmonica and some songs, and just have revival break out in Washington, D.C. You need to pray for that because that's the spirit of the Lord, and that makes all the difference in the world. So, so last week, we also talked about this double blessing, this, the idea that we wanted to focus on people rather than things. And you'll see that we'll pick it up today. My sermon title is Doing Good. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles, in your bulletins, or on the screen. Verse 1 says this, it says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2 says, therefore when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Openly. You know, last week I mentioned that Carol and I went to see uh, Jesus Revolution. It was a fantastic movie about, about uh, Chuck Smith and the Jesus Revolution that started back in the late 1970s in, in, in California and really spread throughout the country. It's a, it was a wonderful show. And uh, today I want to mention another show. There was a show that came out in 2017. It was a musical called The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you saw it. In fact, we actually showed it in our Friday movies in July. Uh, it's, it stars Hugh Jackman as B.T. Barnum. And it was about the greatest show on earth. It was about this B.T. Barnum and his life. Hugh Jackman, uh, who we know from Wolverine, he also plays an X-Man, if you know that series, uh, along with uh, a beautiful woman, Michelle Williams, who played his wife, Charity. And it was the story of B.T. Barnum and, and the, the idea of the three-ring circus. Uh, even if you've never seen the movie, you're familiar with the traveling circus. 
that comes to town with the, with the animals, the elephants and the tigers and the lion tamers and the jugglers and the mimes and, and also the, the oddities. People are drawn to the oddities. This is what P.T. Barnum found, is that people were interested in going and seeing the bearded lady, uh, going and seeing the fattest man, or seeing Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb was a real person. He was a dwarf. Uh, they said he was only 30 inches. He was actually 42 inches, but B.T. Barnum was always about exaggeration. He wanted to, there was a tattooed man that had tattoos all over his body. So these were the things that B.T. Barnum, and the reason B.T. Barnum did this is because it was about the show. Everything that B.T. Barnum did was about the show, about, about bringing people to see the show and see B.T. Barnum. People like the show. In fact, there's a saying we have today called the saying, the show must go on. And, and people have traced that all the way back to England to the 19th century. And many people believe that it was B.T. Barnum that's the one that said it. It's all about the show. The show must go on. You see, he loved the show. He said himself in the movie, I had become famous, world-renowned. I met Queen Victoria. He said that he drank champagne with kings and queens, and, he, and the politicians praised his name. However, what we saw, Hugh Jackman, as he was playing B.T. Barnum, had to examine his motives. Why, what, was, what was this all about? Was it really all about the show? What about his beautiful wife? or his two daughters, or the people in his troupe, even these oddities. What was it really about? By the end of the show, he and his wife, Charity, had been separated. They were estranged. And, and by the end of the show, his circus had burned to the ground. He had nothing left. And he sings a song. He sings a song called From Now On. And I'm not a singer. I'm not like Gary, but I can tell you some of the words. There's words. He, say, he sings, The pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years I chased their cheers. A crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and I see you here, I remember what all this was for. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. You know, I, I love that song. I remember seeing it in the movie the very first time, and I, and I teared up. And I think the reason is, is because all of us understand that sometimes it's about the show. We, we forget why we're really doing this. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about today in these scriptures. He says, examine your motives. Why are you doing the things that you're truly doing? Let's take a look at verse 1 again. Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, now the Greek word here that's translated the charitable deeds is uh, the Greek word sadaka. Now, if you speak Hebrew, you've got to kind of spit as you speak, but it's sadaka. And it literally means righteousness. Don't do your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them. Now, because of the King James, King James translation, the Hebrew has changed so that this word always now means charitable deeds. It's translated also as almsgiving. But in the original Hebrew, a couple thousand years ago, it means righteousness. The idea about doing righteous deeds. God wants you to do righteous deeds, but he wants you to examine your, your motives. Jesus is telling us not to do our righteous deeds for the sake of display. It's not for the show. In the very next verse, Jesus used the words hypocrites. Don't do it like the 
hypocrites do. You know, often when we hear about hypocrites, we think of Pharisees, right? We think of the Pharisees, and no doubt Jesus had the Pharisees in mind. We have to be very careful, though, because, at, because we've heard so many sermons on the, on the hypocrisy of the, hypocrite, uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, we think of them as a bunch of hypocrites only, but they were actually holy men that were trying to do the right thing, but sometimes their motives were, were in question. You know, what's interesting also is sometimes you hear a really good sermon and you immediately think of somebody else that needs to hear the sermon. Have you ever done that? You know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say something and say, oh man, Pastor Ken's on today. I, I wish my wife was here. Yeah, or, or I wish my brother-in-law was here. He really needs to hear this sermon, right? Because so often we think that other people's motives are in question. But Jesus is saying, examine your motives Examine exactly why you do the things we do. This is, a, this is actually a very challenging scripture. It really is. Jesus says, uh, uh, don't be self-deceived. It's very easy sometimes to think that our motives are, are righteous and altruistic. Jesus is asking us to examine our giving, just as an example. Today, it's even more challenging because our social order has changed in the last 30 or 40 years. Maybe you've noticed Things are different today than they were 30 or 40 years ago. For example, back when I was growing up, if you asked kids, if they asked me when I was 9, 10 years old, what did I want to do when I grew up? Remember those stories? Remember they'd ask you back when you were in first, second, third grade? Back that 40, 50 years ago, people would say, I want to be a teacher, a nurse, a policeman, a fireman, a veterinarian, a musician, professional athlete, baseball player, football player. Those were the things that typically came up. 95% of people, that's what they wanted to do. Now today, two of those options are no longer available at all because they're sexist and chauvinist. chauvinist. We have gender neutral words now. We don't have a policeman anymore. We have police officers. We don't have firemen anymore. We have fire fighters. It's all part of this politically correct world. Well, that's not the big deal. The big deal is what Psychology Today says. This is a recent article from Psychology Today. They said, talking to young people, now we're probably talking to a little bit older group than these nine and ten year olds that wanted to be policemen, but talking to young people today, Psychology Today found that 75%, that's three out of four for those of you people that aren't very good at math, 75% of all the people asked what do they want to be when they grow up? Said they wanted to be famous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Well, why not? They want to be famous. They, they, they want, th that was their career aspiration. They're the going for the applause. They want to go for the applause. Now, one of the ways that kids want to be famous today is through social media. For those of you that are not on social media, God bless you, stay there. Don't go on. It's not worth it, okay? But for those of you that know Facebook and TikTok and things like that, there are, there are things that are posted, typically videos, and then people follow those people and they, they like those videos. Well, some people get thousands and tens of thousands of views on their videos and they become what's known as an influencer. Have you heard that term before? An influencer. I never knew what it was until my son started working with influencers. He has a media company. For example, one of the people my son works with is a professional uh, motorcycle rider. I mean, he's done all kinds of 
races and jumps and things like that. He's very famous in the motorcycle world. I didn't know who he was. But he shoots videos of himself on the motorcycle. He doesn't compete anymore. He just does videos. And what he does is he gets a BMW or a Suzuki bike and he demonstrates the bike and they have views on it and they give away coupons and he talks about the product and that's how he gets paid. He's an influencer. He has tens of thousands of people that follow him because they like motorcycles. Um, now I said this is this whole idea is interesting because Jesus is challenging this very thing to examine our motives of who we are and why we do the things we do. Jesus said it extends not to our giving, but really by extension all of our righteous acts. So why do we do the things we do? That's a, that's a good question. I sometimes have to wonder myself why we do the things we do. Are we doing it to be righteous? Are we doing it to be self-righteous? Are we just being Christ-like? Or are we just do it because it seems like the, the right thing to do? Jesus is demonstrating that God's righteous standard uh, is not to, to create an image of righteousness. God is more interested in the intention of your heart than the outward appearance of what you're trying to do. Um, it's very difficult, actually, when you think about it, to do something without thinking about what other people are going to think. I mean, really think about it. It's very difficult to get dressed in the morning without thinking, I wonder what people are going to think of my outfit. It's difficult to go anywhere or do anything without thinking, how do I look in, in public? And I think this has been, this is true for all of us. This is why we can relate to this idea about be careful of why you give and examine the motivations of your heart. Jesus says this. He says, uh, just a few weeks ago, remember, uh, we had the, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light shine. Remember, he says, you are salt and light, let your, light your light shine. Well, this is not a contradiction because our light is supposed to naturally shine. You see, people will notice who you are. People will notice if you become more and more like Jesus, they're going to know you look more and more like Jesus. In fact, the Bible says there's a fragrance on you. There's a fragrance on you. There's, a, there's something sweet smelling about you because you become more and more like Jesus. That's natural. The idea is we don't do it intentionally to show off. It's not about like the show, like B.T. Barnum. If we do something... Uh, charitable, noticeably righteous, and we do it for the attention and applause of men, Jesus says, you've had your reward. Congratulations. People are applauding you, and that's the only reward you're going to get. Now, a few verses later in, in chapter 6, Jesus says this. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. We'll get to this in a few weeks. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus says, with the right motivation, there's a reward waiting for you in heaven. With the wrong motivation, you've already received your reward. You know... In chapter 6, we'll be getting into it. Jesus is going to be talking not only about giving, but also about prayer and fasting. Now, giving, prayer, and fasting was extremely important uh, 2,000 years ago, as it is today, but especially 2,000 years ago to the Hebrew culture. It was inbred. That's, that's something that the Hebrews knew. They were to give alms. 
They were to be charitable. They were to pray and they were to fast. Jesus' disciples were asked why they didn't fast, like John the Baptist did. And Jesus said, there'll be a time when the bridegroom is gone that they will fast as well. You know, let me we're going to talk about giving a little bit more, but let me just mention prayer and fasting. If you fast without praying, you're going on a diet. That's all you're doing. If you fast, but you're not praying with it, you're just going on a diet. At the same time, if you pray, but you never consider fasting, you're, you're missing out. Because prayer and fasting kind of go together. Fasting is a physical prayer that you do. You get a little rumbly in your tumbly to remind you of the things of God. And this is what our motivation is about. Our motivation is to check ourselves for a, mo for a moment to understand that we should be motivated by what God wants for us, not what we want for ourselves. Let's, let's continue. Uh, chapter, verse 2. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in their synagogues or on the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. There's that again. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed will be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Did you know God sees what you do in secret? Now, for some of you, and for me as well, I mean, that can sometimes be very troubling, right? That God sees what you do in secret. God knows the intentions of your heart. Not only what you do, but also what you are thinking, why you're doing certain things. So let's talk about this a little bit. This, this phrase, sound a trumpet, is interesting. Rona upstairs is one of our Jewish friends. And before the sermon, she was looking through the bulletin and she said, Pastor Ken, what is this? What is the sound of trumpet? She said, I've been to many synagogues. I've never seen a trumpet. I I've never seen a trumpet. I, I love that. I said, well, just stay tuned because I'm going to talk about it in my sermon. You see, if you, if you read the commentaries, that's what pastors do, by the way. We read commentaries. So, so if you read the commentaries, you'll hear a couple of things like this. You'll hear, well, sometimes uh, the, the, in the synagogues, they would have literal trumpets. And if somebody gave a big gift, they would like... Do, 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 do. they'd sound the trumpets and things like that. Well, historians have found no evidence of that at all. It's a nice commentary, but there's no evidence of that. Another proposal, and I like this one, is that the collection box in the synagogues was formed like a trumpet with a big, a big opening on one end and a small opening on the other that the things went in. And as the coins went in, they kind of would jingle jangle and you would play like a little tune. That's a great story. But there's no historical evidence of that as well. So the thing that we conclude is this is a figure of speech. Okay? And here's the thing you want to remember. Figures of speech teach. Figures of speech teach. This is a figure of speech. We have, we have this figure of speech already, right? We say, don't blow your own horn, right? When we say, don't blow your own horn, I don't expect you to get a little horn out of your pocket and start blowing it, right? No, you, what I'm saying is be careful of your motives. You're showing off. You're, you're trying to get attention for yourself. And this is what Jesus said. He said, be careful. The hypocrites will blow their own horn. They want people to know what they're giving. When they do that, they've already had their reward. Now, we, have, we come to this word hypocrite. Now, most of you understand that the word hypocrite is actually a Greek word. Aren't they all? They're all Greek words. Uh, it, it, it actually mean, it, it's actually transliteration. It's hypocrite. Hypocrite. And, and it means actor. To be an actor. So that's what we mean when we say a hypocrite. A hypocrite is playing a part. They're putting on a facade. 
They're pretending to be somebody that they're not. That's what a hypocrite is. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. They're performing, and this goes back to my first point. It's all about the show. Don't be a hypocrite. It's not about the show. Examine your own motives, especially why you give. And Jesus is saying this. He says, if your motive is recognition of others, then enjoy the applause because that's all the reward you'll be given. There'll be no reward in heaven for the one who did it, who did it for the motive and earthly reward. We'll talk about rewards in a minute, but I want to talk about this saying that Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, physically, that's impossible. You mean your right hand and your left hand are coordinated, your brain, God has made us amazing people that we know what our left hand and right hand are doing. Uh, this is another figure of speech. However, I found when I was trying to play piano, that that was my problem you see but when my kids were like nine and ten years old we decided Carol and myself decided to go ahead and get a piano an upright piano for our kids so that they could take piano lessons and they took piano lessons for a couple years but unlike Ashley who continued to practice they didn't practice so after a couple years they gave it up well me as their dad decided I would take piano lessons as well because I could practice I would love to be able to do that I would love to be able to play piano or something like that my right hand didn't know what my left hand was doing. It was, it was, it was, it was horrible. I, I, I gave it up. So maybe it, was, maybe it was practice as well. So here's the key. Jesus says, let your charitable deeds be done in secret. Let them be done in secret. Now this does not mean that they have to be completely anonymous. It means that it's not for the show. So, for example, when you give to your church and your pastor or your, the clerk sends you a letter saying thank you very much for your recent gift, that doesn't mean you've lost your reward because it all has to do with the motivation. You're not trying to be seen. You're just getting a receipt. So that, 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 that's, like I said, you don't have to worry about losing your, your reward. We don't have to take that, that literally. Jesus is saying examine your motives because your motives, your heart for giving, makes all the difference in the world. Luke 21 says this. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, Jesus says, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now you know this story. This is the story of the widow's mite. It's, it's found two places in the Bible, in Mark as well as in Luke. In the Gospel of Mark, I could have used that, in the King James it talks about the widow's mite. Instead of two copper coins, it talks mite. And then it says also that aren't two mites worth a farling? Two mites are worth a farling. Well back when the King James was being written, that was 1611, in England they had coins just like they do now, but they had a farthing. And a farthing was the very smallest coin they had. It was worth one quarter of a penny, of an English penny. They got rid of the farling over 100 years ago. But think about it. These widow's mites, the two, the two mites were equal to a farthing. So a mite was one-eighth of a penny. That's all the widow had. But the key to this, the key to this understanding is where did she give the gift? She gave it to the temple. She was giving it to the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't need a house like we do. He's not like a human. He doesn't have a body, doesn't need a place to live. But the, the temple in Jerusalem was understood to be the house of the Lord. So if you wanted to give to the Lord, you gave it to the temple treasury. The second thing that was important about as far as this widow and why she was complimented is because she gave it out of her poverty. 
The rest of them gave it out of their wealth. And we understand that. You know, if somebody comes to you, let's say there's a missionary comes in town, we're going to take a second offering for the missionary. So you open up your wallet, take a look at your wallet, and you say, what have I got in here? I've got about 150 bucks. I can throw $5 in, right? We give our leftovers. We give our leftovers. This widow wasn't giving her leftovers. She was giving out of her, her very need, her very need. I, I love teaching on, on the tithe. When I was doing some consulting on churches, I was talking about stewardship, and I love talking on the tithe because there's a couple of things we have to understand. The tithe means 10, means 10%. So that's a good standard. I mean, it was a good enough standard for people that were very poor living in Israel. It's a good enough standard for us that have more than enough. So 10% is a good standard as far as our giving. But more importantly than that, the tithe was supposed to be part of the first fruits. It was to be the first 10%. When I was teaching stewardship and I would have people set up budgets, the very first thing on the line, the budget line would be your tithe, the very first 10%. We give, give, we give God our best. God doesn't need our leftovers. And that's what this woman was doing. She was giving out of her poverty. She was giving God her very best. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. God wants your, your best because your best tells of your motives. It's not for a show. It's about doing the, 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 the best. Now, Jesus says there is a reward. If you blow your trumpet, if, you, if your motive isn't pure, if you want to have people praise you, give your applause, you've already received your reward. But there is a reward in heaven. So in closing, I want to talk a little bit about this reward in heaven. We'll, we'll do a study at some time when it comes up, but I just want to mention it. Um, there's a number of places in the scriptures that talks about a reward. And the idea of a reward is that God will give us a reward. This is at the Bema seat. This is the final judgment. God will give us a reward. In Romans chapter 14, for example, uh, Paul says, Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we, all should stand, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what's known as the Bema seat. For it is written, as I, love, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to me, so then each of us should give him account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, this is the Bema seat. It's different than the white throne. This is the judgment for Christians, for believers, that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the question about not do we get judged, of course we get judged. The question is when do we get judged? When do we get judged? Some teach that this happens when we die, that God judges us if we go to heaven. If we pass the judgment, we go to heaven. If we fail in the judgment, we go to hell. But that's not scriptural, that not at all. Uh, the Bible says that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a whosoever, remember that verse? Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you're a whosoever, if you know who Jesus Christ is, if you accepted him into your life, you've already gone into eternal life. There's no judgment of heaven or hell anymore for you. Your righteous acts are going to be judged. Everything that you've done in secret will be laid bare. But you don't have to worry about heaven or hell because you've already passed the judgment. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So don't let anybody condemn you because Christ has already given you a thumbs up. You're already part of the beloved. So 
When is the BMC judgment? When does it happen? Well, this is what I teach. It's after Christ returns. And I get it from this, this verse out of 2 Corinthians. Let a man so consider this. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4 says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. The Bible says all judgment has been given to the Son. It's Jesus Christ that is the judge. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. That's when it happens. When the Lord comes in the air and all Christians and all the saints of old are all resurrected and we stand before God, Christ will judge us who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. What are these counsels of the heart? They're the hidden things. They're a motivation. It's why we do the things we do. Those are the things that are being judged. It's not so much the overt acts. I mean, there are wealthy people that can give so much money their name gets on a building. And there are widows that give out of their poverty and both are going to be judged. And not going to be judged by the amount they give, but the motivation of their heart. At that time, each one's praise will come from God. I, I love that. You know, in closing, when it comes to rewards, I'll just say this. The Bible clearly says not only are there rewards, but it specifies that there are five crowns. Five crowns that are available to believers. Isn't that amazing? Five crowns. It includes an imperishable crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, and the crown of glory. I'm not going to go any further into these crowns because our sermon today is about the motivation. It's about not the show, but the motivation of your heart, what's really inside. Our motivation is not to earn a reward in heaven. Heaven is a free gift. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. Rewards, however, are given by Jesus Christ, who is the judge. Again, the Bible says that all judgment is given to his son. The reward that we want to receive are these words that are spoken. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is the reward, and it's based on the motivation of our heart. At the very end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation. I might have mentioned it a few times. The very last chapter in Revelation is Revelation chapter 22. Jesus says this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. That's the motivation. Jesus is coming soon. So in preparation for the judgment seat of Christ, what are you choosing to build with? The Bible says we have a choice. We can either build with gold, silver, and precious stones, or we can build with wood, hay, and straw, things that will not last. I just pray that at the judgment seat of Christ, you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. 
You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.